The views expressed in this program are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of 94.9 CHRW. A quark, maybe you better take a look at this. Sure. Quark, be quiet. Quark, stand watch. Quark, pick a lock. All you ever do is order me around. You know, Commander, I think I figured out why humans don't like Ferengi. Not now, Quark. The way I see it, humans used to be a lot like Ferengi. Greedy, acquisitive, interested only in profit. We're a constant reminder of a part of your past you'd like to forget. Quark, we don't have time for this. But you're overlooking something. Humans used to be a lot worse than the Ferengi. Slavery. Concentration camps. Interstellar wars. We have nothing in our past that approaches that kind of barbarism. You see, we're nothing like you. We're better. Good morning, London. It's Thursday, March 13th, 2014. I'm Bob Metz. And I'm Al Gretzky. And this is Just Right on CHRW 94.9 FM. Where we will be with you from now until noon. It's not right wing. Just right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. And welcome to our show. Today we're 519-661-3600 is the number you can call to reach us if you want to join in on the conversation today or write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Interesting number of topics on the slate today, Al. I think uh, um, I'm going to be carrying on in the second half of the show with a theme I started last week. I didn't realize what a can of worms I kind of opened <laughs> when I got into the whole issue of our state of democracy and what people think about democracy. You, you it's a open, crisis out there. You open a can of worms? Yeah, I can't no, believe that. No, not me. <laughs> and, of course... Um, a common theme, even to the greater theme, is the one that you wanted to introduce today, and you got me wondering, has humanity been slaves to slavery, you know, for its whole history, or what's the story there? Okay. Um, we're actually going to take a look at slavery, both as it exists today and perhaps to some degree as it has existed in the past. And I know there's a big story that drew your attention, but maybe you want to introduce us okay. to this whole issue then, Al. Alrighty. So now, uh, what basically prompted me to this issue, as you mentioned, uh, stems from an article in the Free Press by retired Minister um, Bob Shipley, Bob Ripley, (laughs) entitled, Religion Played a Sad Role in Slavery. While uh, I do not pretend to be a religious scholar, nor is the topic one that I spend a lot of time on, the heading did catch my eye. And when I finished reading the article, I came to the conclusion, while the statement in and of itself was truthful, I personally found that Mr. Ripley's presentation of the connection between religion and slavery to be very one-dimensional. Now, that having been said, the undeniable truth about Mr. Ripley is that he certainly is a lightning rod when it comes to discussions about the church and about religion in general. Now, whether that's intentional or not, uh, it is a good thing. As you have often stated on this show many times, and I agree with, the very foundation of our freedom is the one that we have the ability to openly discuss any topic we wish. This freedom is really the complete opposite to my topic today, which is, of course, slavery. So, while I have some disagreement with the overall article, the title is uh, still quite on point. It's in the dissemination of the context 
that have me in disagreement. It's much like taking a comment uh, out of context, which I'll expand on later. What I found particularly disturbing was uh, when he finally got around to what the title referenced, Religion and Slavery, which is about halfway through the article, he seems to cast his focus squarely on only one part of the word religion, and that is Christianity. It's somehow portrayed as the main villain in this uh, most heinous of acts that we know of, that being one person owning another. He uh, he invokes uh, from... Uh, passages from only one of the holy books, the Bible, uh, refers to quotes from the Church of England, and even makes what in today's parlance would be called a cheap shot, uh, or even diss, his assertion that the founder of the modern uh, Christian church, Jesus Christ, did not take a stand on slavery. Now, I guess love thy thy neighbor uh, doesn't cut it for Mr. Ripley. Now, In the spirit of full disclosure, which is what I've talked about before, he did mention Judaism twice. Once in regard to the fact that Jews were slaves for 400 years in Egypt, and once in regards to Ham, son of Noah, and the belief by early writers that he was the father of Africa and that his descendants were cursed to be slaves by Noah. It is the mentioning of this story that has led to the connection of slavery and blacks. Now, his only mention of Islam was also in regard to the early writers about the curse of Ham. So I question, how is it that the oldest religion, Judaism, and the second largest, Islam, have only brief mentions in the story of the travesty called slavery? Now, Did the early Israelites not hold slaves? Did the Torah not mention them? Was Hagar, who is, of course, held in high regard by Islam and the mother of Ishmael, not a slave to Abraham? The Quran itself has verses dealing with slavery. And while Mr. Rifley takes time to point out that Jesus did not take a stand on the issue of slavery, he fails to mention that the founder of Islam not only condoned it, but owned, bought, and sold slaves himself. These are not trivial details. Uh, Not including some reference to them makes it seem as though he is faulting only one and not all. Intentional? Yeah, we will only, uh, we will have to uh, guess at that. Now, another issue that uh, caught my attention was a statement in regard to Black History Month. And I quote as follows. This is from the same article? This is from the same article. The sad side of the annual observation is the glaring reminder of the people of the West and Central Africa who were captured, chained, and shipped mostly to the Americas to be sold and then brutally and relentlessly exploited for the enrichment of others. It is hard to think of their story, let alone read about it. Close quote. Once again, while the statement in and of itself is correct, it's not complete and therefore not accurate. One could write a book on what the above statement leaves out and the mistaken inferences that it, uh, that it actually makes. While indeed there were slaves shipped from areas to the Americas and uh, probably not only from Africa, the main problem with that statement is that when you say Americas, most individuals will think the United States of America. However, the vast majority of the slaves actually went to the islands and to South America. 
the United States itself received the smallest number of these stays. Now, let me clarify, because yeah. <laughs> I, I could just hear the jumping up and down already. Um, I, I do not want to leave the impression that somehow I'm condoning the practice of slavery in the United States. <laughs> I am not. Neither am I saying that the United States should be praised for taking fewer slaves than any other country. Even one slave is one too many. I am merely attempting to point out the singular bias of what was written. Once again, simply my point of view. Now, what, what's missing from the opening statement is the fact that when slave ships stopped coming to the Americas, slaves were still being shipped to the Middle East by the thousands. Now, by using the shipping of slaves to the Americas the way he did, he gives the impression that it was that 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 it's then that the real horror of the slave trade began. And of course, we both know that nothing could be further from the truth. S slavery in all its despotic gore has been around since humans have been on the earth. I mean, archaeologists discover stone tablets um, regularly thousands of years BC, which depict slavery. Yes, religion played a role in slavery. But then again, there was a time that virtually all of mankind had a role. In the early times of civilization, which I'll expand on later, the concept of who we are as persons did not exist. Religion as we know it today, in particular the Christian religion, was not even around when slavery began. The only thing that was around was brute force. If your tribe was the strongest, you could dictate the terms of life in the area in which you lived. Now, maybe I misrepresented Mr. Ripley's uh, writings, but I felt his article was a point your finger at what he sees as the main perpetrator of slavery, Christianity. And I uh, disagree with that assessment. I do too. I just wonder if it's possible what he was trying to do was... Um, convince people who, who perhaps think, well, you know, Christianity is the one religion that never uh, ha had anything to do with slavery, whereas we already understand many of the others do. And maybe he's trying to straighten out that history. But I, I know the article doesn't put it in that framework. No, no, not not at all. He's uh, through throughout the article. Uh, he, as I mentioned, he he makes quotes directly from uh, from the, from the Bible. Uh, he refers to Christianity only. He makes only small mention of the other religions. So um, he, he really is pointing that finger. But as I mentioned earlier, uh, Ripley is, is known for his pointing to the church, yeah. the Christian church. And, and as I said, now I don't know whether that's his method by which he uh, stokes the fires to have conversation. And and if that's the case, it's it's a very good thing. Because well, he's got us going. You, you know. yeah, exactly, yeah, yeah. You know, the headline reads, Religion Played a Sad Role in Slavery. I wonder if you could almost turn that around and say slavery so somehow got embedded into the religion, because the slavery was always with us. That's correct. The religions were the things that were changing. And in a world without freedom and capitalism and eventually technology, mm -hmm. um, you either how how did one make a living? It was always a slave versus master relationship throughout human humanity, right 
as far back as history as you can go. Exactly. And as I say, uh, really, uh, when you go back in time, uh, what it came down to was brute force. And the idea of pointing to slavery uh, and uh, making the connection to Christianity the way that he did, uh, he, he misrepresents the fact that throughout humanity, mankind from the beginning has been strong one has told the weak one what to do. It was really that simple. That's right. It was always might makes right in terms of yeah, who the boss was and who the yeah. boss wasn't. Yeah. Now, I know you have uh, have an example here of a modern-day slavery situation. Yeah. You want to introduce that for us, we're, what we're about to hear? Uh, this is this is the story of a uh, young lady. Uh, her, her name is uh, Sh- Shima Hall. Yeah. And uh, the, let the uh, let the clip speak for itself. Okay, this is from uh, the Jeff Provost show. Yes, and it was aired on February eighteenth of this year. And um, this is about oh, how many minutes of this do we have here? About six minutes, and it's very interesting. We'll have more later on in the show too. We are sharing some pretty amazing stories of real life dramas today. Shima Hall was just a child when she was given up by her own family. And that was just the beginning of a nightmare. Roll it. About a decade ago, when Shima was just eight years old, her childhood came to an end. She lived with her family in Egypt when her parents sold her to a wealthy couple as a slave. Her new owners forced her to do menial chores. Two years later, the couple moved to the U.S. and smuggled Shima, then 10, in with them. Shima then spent another two years scrubbing floors and cooking meals for the couple and their children. Working 16 hours a day and sleeping in the family's cold, dark garage. But then, a concerned neighbor called police and it was a call that would change Shima's life forever. Shima is here with us. Welcome. So. Do you know who made the call to the police? No, actually we don't. So it was just a, somebody who realized something bad was happening and yeah. really saved your life. Definitely, yeah. Whoever it is, I'm very thankful. Yeah. Give me my life. What, what, this is a crazy story on so many levels, but you were sold to another family for $30? Yes. $30. And, 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 and I, what I understand is it actually came because your older sister was already working for this family, but then she did something wrong, bad and they wanted to make a trade. Yeah. How did, the, when that happened to you, what did your family say to you? Um, it, wasn't, it wasn't much said. It was um, your sister took money from them without permission and... Um, um, we want somebody young so we can train her to do whatever we want and she won't do wrong. And um, here you go. They chose me and that was a done deal. So you leave your family, you go with this new family, and then do they bring you to California? Um, I lived with them in Egypt. And um, after that, they, um, they moved to the U.S. and they decided to take me with them to do their work. How do they explain you? It wasn't much explained. It was, um, you are moving with them now. It, because they, they own me, there wasn't much to explain. It was whatever they wanted to do was going to happen. So they can just leave with you. And then if somebody would ask, if you would meet people or you would be somewhere, 
would how what would they say that you were a sister or a um, I was a stepsister. Uh, well, at least in the U.S. When I came to the U.S., yes. Uh, if anybody asked the the kids, because I wasn't out alone by myself ever, uh, that she was a stepsister or a cousin here to visit, something like that. And your life then was that of a maid, in a sense? Um, yeah, it was. I mean, um, it's a common thing to do in Egypt um, until you're in the age of 14. And... Um, when you're age of 14, you could work um, as a maid for somebody. Is the ownership part of Egypt or that is that separate when you say it's part of what's done in it's Egypt? It's part of the law. Um, when the case was going on, um, they went back to Egypt to speak to my biological parents and they, um, they looked it up and when you're age of 14, you're allowed to work. So. So you were living, where did they keep you? Because you didn't live in the house with the other kids. No, um, I stayed in a garage, in the room in a garage. And how many hours a day would you work? Um, from early morning to get the kids stuff ready for school, to get them ready for school, and also um, until I'm done, the end of the night, two, could be two, could be later, doesn't and, matter when I'm done. And then they send you back to the garage? Yeah. So you never had a life even. You, you couldn't even go out on your own and wander around. No, I wasn't allowed to leave the house. I wasn't allowed to speak to anybody. I didn't speak the language anyway, so I wasn't allowed to communicate with anybody or open the door, nothing. Did you know, were you aware the whole time this is really bad? Or did, as, as a young person, at some point do you think, well, this is just my life? Um, I thought this is, was my life, honestly, just because um, I didn't see anything else past it. This is what my parents gave me to do, and that was it. Um, I knew it was wrong to do um, once they start telling me you can't talk to anybody, you can't speak to anybody in the U.S., or, um, or they will take you, they will do bad things to you, you never see your family again. Do you so. cry yourself to sleep? What I'm trying to understand, Shaima, is... Do you know, oh my God, this is, this is horrible, or are you rationalizing that, or reasoning that this is how my life is? It's not that much fun, but it must be what most kids do. Um, it, was, it was really hard to be alone. Ah, um, uh, didn't mean to trigger anything. What, what comes up for you when you think about that? It's just, um, the alone part, the mistreatment, everything. When you think of it now, it, do the feelings of loneliness, are they, is that a memory or are they still here? Um, no, it's, it's a memory because um, I'm a better person in my life now. Mm. I, I'm, for me to move on and to be a happy person, you have to have things as a memory, not to be in your way, so. And uh, back again. What a story. Yeah, it, it really is. Uh, Shaima Hall. We'll be hearing more from her just at the end of the half hour, too. Now, uh, I mentioned earlier that uh, I believed what Mr. Ripley wrote was similar to taking a comment out of context. What I meant by that was, by taking that sliver of history on slavery, 
and holding it up to the light without any reference to what came before or after presents what I believe to be a distorted view of the reality of slavery. Slavery in all its abhorrence uh, was, was not begun by Christians, nor was it particularly promoted by them. Nor were the Americas the high watermark in the history of slavery. Uh, Mr. Ripley also fails to mention that it was Christians who fought to end slavery on the planet, particularly in the Western world. While in other parts of the world, the only thing that actually stopped slavery was the fact that nations became too strong and the old method of getting slaves, which was by raiding a neighboring country or tribe, just became too dangerous. One of the, uh, one of the ironies of slavery is, of course, is that the, one of the worst offenders, even today, are areas uh, in uh, Africa. Now, the young lady that's dramatized in that story uh, displays the the, the plor- deplorable nature of that crime as it happens today. Shima Hall, the young lady, uh, her story occurs, starts in 1998. Not 1898, but 1998. And thank goodness for the person, the unknown caring person. Now, if you uh, wish to uh, read more uh, about this, she has written a book entitled Hidden Girl, the true story of a modern slave child. Now, when you hear stories like Shiba's and uh, you add the facts about the horrors of slavery in the past, you wonder what would possess people to use the word slavery in the following manner. Slave to your job, slave to money, slave mm-hmm. to drugs, uh, slave to fear, slave to your emotions, and on and on ad infinitum. The use of the word in that way diminishes the real picture of what I believe is one of the most horrific crimes perpetrated since the beginning of humankind, slavery. The ownership of humans, whether that was in a national level, as you discussed, or whether on a personal level where one person owns another person and views them as chattel. Now, Shima's story leads me to uh, this question. Other than Africa, what would be the first country that comes to mind when you use the word slavery? And for most people, the answer would be the United States. Now, I say most people because I know when I ran this, ran that question past you, Bob. Yeah, it wasn't, you, that you, wasn't you, my answer. No, no, you went somewhere else completely. <laughs> I think I might have said China or North Korea or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, if one based the answer to that question on the facts... The answer, of course, does not make sense, for in reality, mass slavery lasted some 250 years in the U.S., while it has been prospering as a business for thousands of years in Europe and the Middle East. White slaves were brought to the new land by wealthy owners as domestics and nannies. We know that from from the beginning of the Americas. But the mass slave trade, with boatloads of people from Africa and other areas, Uh, which is what most individuals think of as a slave trade, began about 1620 and ended uh, with Lincoln's uh, Emancipation Proclamation. And uh, while William Wilberforce, a former slave boat captain turned Christian, led the crusade that helped pass the Slavery Abolition Act in 1833, putting an end to slavery in the uh, British Empire. Yet, even after the efforts of those two men, Slavery carried on many in many other parts of the world, and as I mentioned, even today. So again I ask, 
Why the profound connection to the U.S. Americas? The reason is more than likely because of all things freedom. That is, freedom of the press, freedom of speech, and freedom of association. The history of slavery uh, because of freedom is well documented in the U.S., with associations dedicated to the preserving of the history, books, movies, lectures, and classes in all uh, forms of education. But the one shortcoming of all of them is that they are discussed as singular events that is portrayed only in the Americas, not as a part of the slave trade as a whole. Uh, while That's a good point. Yeah, yeah. Wh while they, only lip service is paid to what goes on in the rest of the world. I mean, currently, uh, there, there are talks about reparations for slavery that ended over 150 years ago, and yet we completely ignore the fact that slavery is occurring as we speak, and young Shima is an example. We have somehow, somehow been led to believe that the dastardly white privileged people in the Americas were and are the main culprits. You know, you, you said that part of the reason that we've taken this focus is because of freedom itself. And, yes. And, you know, I've said this about the Soviet Union being compared to, to the states very often. Uh, because freedom is a moral standard in and of itself, right? Correct. And if you're a country that purports to be a free country, you will be held to that moral standard. If, on the other hand, you don't even pretend to be a free country to begin with, mm -hmm. nobody holds you to the standard. Correct. And you can get away with slavery, with child abuse, with all sorts of things, unless you state that you have this standard. It's a very interesting phenomenon, if you think about it. Maybe we should go out and make all the, force all the other countries <laughs> in the world to make some kind of moral standard. Then at least we could judge them, you know, and, in some and, objective way. And, and one of the problems with that is that those, uh, the country like uh, where freedom uh, reigns, is, is that we are, um, th those countries are blamed more for their partic partaking in slavery only because we know what happened there and we don't know what happened everywhere else. So let's explore some of the realities. Uh, first, white on black is not the only slavery. It's not even the largest category of slaves. There have been white on white slavery, black on black, brown on white, brown on black and brown, Olive on white and black. It's been done <laughs> by every creed and color on the planet. And as I mentioned earlier, slavery goes back to the beginning of civilization. Very little is made of the millions of blacks that were sold to the Middle East and were continued to be sold long after Lincoln's emancipation and Wilberforce's proclamation. Even less is written about the whites who were captured and sold into slavery by the mainly Islamic Barbary Coast pirates. Now, Thomas Sewell, a senior fellow at Stanford, uh, economist, author, points out that slavery for centuries was, was a like against like. Europeans enslaved other Europeans, Asians enslaved Asians, Africans enslaved uh, other Africans, and indigenous people of the Western Hemisphere enslaved other indigenous people. Now, the Western Hemisphere became the first region in history in which slavery was also associated with racial differences. <clears throat> this enshrinement of racism as an overarching casual causal factor accords far more with recent instrumental agendas than with history. Sewell himself is an African-American. 
Now, there was a time when uh, slavery was actually considered to be a part of the social structure. It was a class of people. While it's hard to imagine today, there was a time when individuals would sell themselves into slavery to allow themselves to survive. Because as you That's, mentioned earlier... I'm glad you said this because this is, this is the history of mankind and it's happening again. Yep. As taxes begin to overwhelm us, yep. we will again find ourselves yep. in that same situation. Yeah, they, uh, they, they would uh, volunteer to be soldiers uh, for the opportunity of winning citizenship in countries through valor on the battlefield. Now, until modern times, uh, when there was a war, they were slaves. The victors often took the vanquished as trophies, as workers, as concubines, and in some cases, to replace members of a family who had died of disease or in battle. Now, Slav, for those who may not know, is the actual basis of the word slave, and it comes from the fact that the, from the Indo-European people, and they were widely captured by traders from southern and uh, eastern uh, Mediterranean. Now, the list of civilizations and countries that plofford, plofford? Yeah. proffered, <laughs> let's try that again, uh, from slavery spans the globe. I mean, Rome, the wonders that we see today were all built by the slaves. In Greece, Aristotle once commented that if it had not been for the slaves, free men would not have been able to have the time to philosophize. <laughs> Uh, the Mongols, Celtic tribes, Great Britain, and the Vikings built huge trade networks based strictly on slavery. The same for Spain, Portugal, and Africa. I mean, many African tribes became powerful through the capture and the sale of their countrymen. Brazil and its various agricultural empires were basically built by, uh, by the slaves. And the same goes for the, the Mayans and the Incas. Their temples that are current such wonderful attractions are, are, are pretty much mm -hmm. built by slaves. So I, I hope that in some small measure I've pointed out some of the fallacies that exist around the history of slavery. Fallacies such as the main culprits were privileged white violating the downtrodden black. The fallacy that Christian religion somehow was the only religion that spoke in favor of slavery and that the worst nation in history when it comes to slavery was the United States of America. There you go. You know, I do like the quote at the opening of uh, Bob Ripley's article. No man puts a chain about the ankle of his fellow man without at last finding the other end fastened around his own neck, <laughs> which perhaps is what gave birth to democracy and the idea of freedom, which is what we'll be talking about when we return after these further words from Shima Hall. So Shima was only eight when she was sold into slavery in her home country of Egypt by her family. Two years later, she was smuggled into the U.S. to work. Today, she's 23, she's free, and you're a U.S. citizen, and that is beautiful. What happened to, the, to your family? Um, in Egypt, um, I honestly, I haven't talked to them in years. Um, I figured there's... I never knew them. Um, I never really had a relationship with them. Um, and I moved on with my life. It seemed that they didn't want me, I, so I moved on. Wow. And, and is that okay? I think in my heart I'm okay. Yes, Good. that's me. I am. And what happened with the family that bought you and treated you so poorly for so long? Uh, they went to prison. Um, they Who went to prison, the mom and dad? The mom and dad. The mom and dad went to prison. How, how many years? 
Wow, um, it's not much, that's for sure. They plead uh, guilty in the end, so we didn't end up going to trial. Um, the mom was, um, as long as I was with her for two years, and the dad went for three years. So. I, I, I got to say, once again, that, and that does not seem appropriate at all. Yes. It seems like a, a barely a slap on the wrist for what they did. So you're so confident, you're so self-assured right now, even though we're asking you to bring up something that's really tough. So what is, why are you telling this story today? Um, if somebody sees this and um, sees me speaking out for human traffic, I would like them to be encouraged to speak up. And if they see something wrong, if um, how to spot a person that is, you know, been mistreated or need help and to, to do the right thing. And I've did many speaking occasions and uh, I've heard from um, police department and people that they helped somebody because of this. Really? And, yeah. yeah. Good for you. of the most violent contrasts. Those who receive the rewards are totally separated from those who shoulder the burdens. It is not a wise leadership. Here on Stratus, everything is incomparably beautiful and pleasant. The high advisor's charming daughter, Droxine, particularly so. The name Droxine seems appropriate for her. I wonder, can she retain such purity and sweetness of mind and be aware of the life of the people on the surface of the planet. There, the harsh life in the mines is instilling the people with a bitter hatred. The young girl who led the attack against us when we beamed down was filled with the violence of desperation. If the lovely Droxine knew of the young miner's misery, I wonder how the knowledge would affect her. Interesting comment from Mr. Spock, how knowledge affects. And that's what I see. I called it the democratic deficit last week, Al, and that's, to me, talking about a deficit in knowledge, about democracy, how it works. And I brought it up just briefly last week, and, and since then I've been listening to commentaries, and sure enough, the same day we were on last week, there's an article in one of the papers devoted to this whole subject, and it's a downright crisis. Um, I had no idea what a can of worms I exposed myself to when I addressed this democratic deficit. And so it illustrates a monumental degree of, of this crisis in so many people's minds. Voters have obviously appeared to have given up on politicians in increasing numbers. Instead, they want to fix the process, right? They can't yes. fix the politician. Yep. So let's fix the process. As if directly voting for the same things their politicians are already doing will also somehow alter the disastrous consequences of doing those things. And... So it's, you know, it's the something-for-nothing policies that are really destroying our, what we call our democracy. And that's where the problem is. 
And, you know, it comes ba- it's even comes back to our discussion last week when I was talking about nothing. You can't create something out of nothing. It's true with regard to creation itself. Above all, it's true with, with regard to democracy. You can't create a democracy out of nothing, as is being attempted in various non-democratic cultures like Egypt and the Ukraine. They're just tossing in these democratic principles and thinking they're going to work okay. No, you have to have some basis on which to, to build that democracy. There has to be a sense of it. There and has to that be a has desire to, for it. You know, and that's the point. They're always putting democracy first when it's the last in the chain. The, a country has to have freedom and capitalism long before any legitimate voting that could be called democratic can take place. Otherwise, voters will just use their votes to vote for a continued dictatorship, which is all they know and all they have to choose from, given the so-called political options they're offered. I mean, think about it. You're in Egypt. You've got two choices, the Muslim Brotherhood or the military. Real democracy, <laughs> right? <laughs> and it's the same everywhere. So-called democracy is being attempted in unfree countries. They don't have... A free choice. North Americans have a history and tradition of very minimal governance relative to the history that preceded modern times, but the undemocratic demands now placed upon governments by voters has already ended that magical ideal. I think it's going to require a very conscious and determined effort to think, turn things around in the absence of a disaster. And even if things aren't viable for change, you know, until some kind of calamity breaks out, um, which is usually what happens when these kinds of changes come along. Now, this leads me to to the more domestic issue. And, you know, I was asked a very irritating question earlier this week by talk show host Andy Utman when I was on the line with him earlier this week. And he asked me what I would like to tell Kathleen Wynne what she should do <laughs> to fix all of the troubling prob- problems we have with our provincial government. Now, in a way, I know he wasn't really being serious or literal to my suggesting to win what she would do, but I kind of was struggling with the question without trying to sound sarcastic or sounding Mm -hmm. disingenuous, you know. Um, So in even asking that question, it occurred to me that the door was immediately shut to even entertaining a real solution to whatever the issue might be, namely the solution being ask somebody else besides the people who are causing the problem to solve the problem. Uh, You know, not only that, but the notion that our MPs and our MPPs are our representatives whose sole job is to do what we, the people, want them to do is a notion so alien to the function or objective ideal of a real democracy as to send chills down one's spine. If you think through the implications of the kind of society we'd be living in if it was ruled by the people, it would be hell on earth. It would be what you just described, Al. Everyone would vote to enslave everyone else. Absolutely. And that's what's happening. And that's what's going on in politics today, but everybody's too polite and, and pretending not to notice it. The purpose of government is to redistribute wealth, said past Ontario PC Premier Ernie Eves, and he's the conservative, right? And once you accept an idea like that one, then no structure, no constitution of any government or nation will protect you from the inevitable outcome of that philosophy. I mean, it's evil at its root, and it's the very opposite purpose of of having a government in a free society. So we have to remember that, you know, freedom and and capitalism have to precede what we call um, democracy. And you see this everywhere, uh, what I call appeals to the devil. <laughs> you know, Randy Hillier, I don't know, he set up a complaint system for people who complain about Ontario Hydro. We can complain to the government through the ombudsman <laughs> as well about hydro rate scandals, you know. And that's just 
to me a do nothing solution because there's no off you know no. alternative being offered. Uh, the ombudsman recent complaint about city council, the, the latest one, which I'll be dealing with after the next break. And uh, down, you know, we saw in the Ukraine, Kerry calling for an upcoming vote in the Ukraine, which is coming in May. Well, hello, they just had a vote, fellas. The good guys lost, just like in Egypt when the majority voted in the Muslim Brotherhood, who had to be thrown out again by, by the government that was thrown out before. <laughs> yes, and, and again, it comes down to that same basic principle. If you don't have the democracy, the basis of it set there then you really aren't choosing democracy. You're just making a choice. Yes, and it comes, you know, people just think democracy is about voting, but that's not what it is. Um, it's, you know, democracy means that everyone in the country f- follows the same rules, subject to the same laws, and no one's superior to anyone else. And when I talk about a democratic deficit, I, I'm talking about uh, things that people have been taught about democracy that, you know, just ain't so. No. <laughs> it's not just that they don't know about it, but the things they do think they know about it are not correct. Democracy doesn't work that way. Um, people aren't simply ignorant of democracy and the proper voting process. What they do know is usually the opposite of what democracy is. It's usually all Greek to them. <laughs> yeah, literally. <laughs> you know, literally. Yeah. Bingo. Everything should be put to a vote. Everything should be majority rule because the majority rules. And they don't seem to recall that Greece was constantly at war thanks to this democratic process. Rarely did a decade go by without some war in which the Greeks found themselves embroiled. And that's just part of the problem, the the majority ruling. No single one of us has any right to rule another. And what this means in principle and in necessary practice is that no group has a right to, to rule another group. And, of course, the first principle of a democracy is that all citizens and residents are subject to the same laws, have the same and exact individual rights, which under any rule of true equality excludes anyone from initiating force against anyone else. Otherwise, you couldn't be equal, could you? (laughs) And remember, ten people in a room don't have ten times the rights of a single individual in a room. They all still have the same rights. They each have the same and equal individual right. Ten people in a room, however do have ten times the force of a single individual on his own. In a non-democracy, might makes right, as they say, while simultaneously obliterating the concept of right. But in a free democracy, right makes might, which in turn enforces the right. We got pretty close to a system like this during the 1800s and the first half of the 1900s. Then we kind of collectively turned left and we decided that might made right because we can force others to pay for our own, well, fill in the blank, everything from health care to recreation and entertainment, for heaven's sakes. We're only now beginning to reap the rewards of this uh, uh, lack of governance. Um, you know, no one should rule anyone. Ruling is about one individual or group forcing by law other individuals or groups to comply with whatever. Free people are governed. They are not ruled. And we must always remember that what is being governed is force, and each and every one of us is responsible for our self-government. We are not allowed to use force against another. You are restraining yourself. You're governing yourself every time you don't hit some guy in the head <laughs> who insults you or says something to you. You know, you know what I'm saying? That's that's what it's all about. Reminds me of the uh, TV show that we hear keep keep hearing that ad for Game of Thrones. I will do what queens do, says the female voice. I will rule. Well, that's not what free citizens of a free democracy do. Interesting, I heard a, uh, an interview with um, 
the Swedish ambassador to Canada, Al- Ulrich Lehner, who was speaking to mm-hmm. uh, Andrew Lawton earlier this week, and they were talking about what they call direct mo- democracy in, in Switzerland. And um, some very interesting points, except the recent thing that they were talking about was increasing everyone's average income to a minimum of $33,000, having a minimum minimum annual income, <laughs> right? And because apparently it's impossible to live in Switzerland on less than 4,000 francs a month, which is almost equivalent to a dollar. So we're talking, you can't live in Switzerland unless you've got 4,000 bucks a month. And um, But it's amazing that I would say that to the degree Switzerland allows a vote like that, that's not democratic. They're not democratic. You can't allow some people to vote money out of the pockets of other people. But there are some things that you can vote through plebiscites and through issues like that, but they have to be what are called um, majority issues, issues that affect everyone, the, the common purpose, not in the sense of how some people describe the common purpose, but issues that affect each and every one of us, which generally means life liberty and property and um, now just to uh, hear some more alien ideas about democracy coming up in our next break here and it, I think if anything these next two clips will demonstrate that you can't just put any question on the ballot <laughs> okay take it away you speak English you speak lousy. <laughs> it's because I'm not from here around. I am from very far away. I'm alien. Leaping lizard, so am I. <laughs> mark from Ork, nanu nanu. Sergei from Slavisgrad. Slavisgrad, is that near Alpha Centauri? No. Ork, is that near Minsk? Oh, you got me by the shorts there. <laughs> Unless that's the one with eight moons. <laughs> Where are you living now? I do not yet find place to live. That's why I leave Cello here. Sleeping in park is okay for me, but not for Cello. I know what it's like. It's pretty hard for me when I blew into town, too. <laughs> do you have to make reports of what you observe here? Spy? No, I'm a magician and student. I play in the sympathy, but I don't get first paycheck for a couple weeks. Uh, you're lucky. I have to report back to this fat dude named Orson. <laughs> He's the one that made me come here. No one makes Sergei Khrushchev come here. I wanted to be part of this democracy, yeah. You know about democracy? Oh, yeah, I study this, Mm mm-hmm. Mindy and I are forming a democracy. Leaping lizards, no faking? Yes. (laughs) And you could be a third so we can vote and I can ask you questions. You can come and live with us. I don't want to make trouble on you. Oh, no trouble, no trouble. Mindy will be happy when she finds out about this. Who is this Mindy? Oh, she's the girl I live with. Are you married? No, but don't bother about it. Neither is she. only one time you look handsomer than you do now and that's when you wear a tuxedo oh yes i think a tuxedo is the best looking thing a man can wear unless he's wearing boxing trunks (laughs) speaking of boxing there's nothing more exciting than a ringside seat yes sir ringside seat at the copacabana yeah well look lucy monday's fred's anniversary and he wants to go to the fights yeah well monday's ethel's anniversary too and she wants to go to a nightclub yeah, well, Fred is not going to go out to any stuffy nightclub. Well, Ethel's not going to any stale fights. Lucy, don't push me too far. 
It's the fights or nothing. Well, is that final? Final. You brought this on yourself. Ethel wants a divorce. Good. No, she doesn't. <laughs> no, I don't. Well, honey, you said you wanted to oh, go to a nightclub. Why don't you mind your own business? I, I mean, maybe the fellows want to go to a fight. You want to go one way? Wait a minute, will you? Everybody be calm. We'll figure out a way to settle this thing. I know. The democratic way. We'll put it to a vote. Couldn't you guess how it's going to come out? Well, try it anyhow. All right, everybody wants to go to the fights, raise their hand. One, two. Everybody wants to go to the nightclub, raise their hand. One, three. All right, I guess we'll have to go to the Copacabana. Three! Lucy? Well, I don't care. We want to go to Copacabana. We're going to fights. If you go to the fights, you can just go alone. Okay, if that's the way you want it. And I hope you have a nice, pleasant evening at home. Who's staying at home? Ethel and I are going dancing at the Copa. <laughs> I hope one of you knows how to lead. <laughs> what a funny clip that is, and what a great ending comment there by Ricky. I hope one of you knows how to lead, yeah. although he's talking about dancing. That sure applies to democracy, because you always need leaders, no matter how many people participate in the process. You, you mentioned in the last uh, segment uh, capitalism and yes. democracy, which reminded me of the old uh, saying that capitalism does not need democracy, but democracy needs capitalism. Absolutely. Very good observation. You know, it's funny, even in that uh, audio bite we just heard, that was actually from the very first episode of I Love Lucy, which was broadcast before I was even walking the face of this earth. I can't say that. And, and it, it was interesting, though. You notice how as soon as um, uh, Lucy and Ricky became Democratic representatives of Fred and Ethel, all of a sudden what was just a debate between what, where they were going to go for the night became an issue of divorce. Yes. <laughs> That's what happens when you put your affairs in the hands of somebody else and they're starting to represent you. Because what are they doing? They're representing their own point of view, right? And I, I just thought it was just so funny. Now, here in London, of course, we've recently had three complaints filed with the Ontario Ombudsman regarding a meeting attended by all councillors at City Hall. Apparently, it was in camera. Disgraceful. Yeah, and Steve Orson, Orser apparently walked out. Bud Polehill said he didn't hear anything inappropriate discussed there. And this was discussed on some of the talk shows uh, this week, and one fellow named Arne called in on Andy Utman's show, and he just put, hit the nail on the head and spoke to an issue that I've been talking to about the importance of political parties in the, structure, in the proper structure and proper working of a democracy. And he said this. He said, I'm of the opinion it's just about time to have party politics in London City Hall. In the parliamentary system on which our city council is based, you have caucuses, which meet prior to the plenum in Parliament, and they discuss issues they want to bring forward to Parliament. They have votes in their caucus. The Municipal Act forbids this kind of thing, at least as it's being interpreted by the Ombudsman. I don't think yep. it's actually correct. Mm -hmm. It forbids a caucus separate from the city council plenum, and that's ridiculous. In every form of democracy we know of, there are committees, subcommittees, and parties which hold caucuses independent of the plenum. And they can do so with impunity. So why can't City Hall councillors meet as a group if they have like mind on an issue and bring it forward to the main group for a vote? I don't understand this. I think it's a flawed law, he says. 
Imagine London decided we should have 14 wards instead of seven. It greatly expanded the plenum to an almost unmanageable size. And then we did away with the Board of Control, which was a management group of four people who managed to take care of critical issues that were citywide. We've essentially hobbled our council by making it too big and cumbersome and by employing rules that are somewhat archaic. And he hit the nail right on the head with that yes, in absolutely. terms of structure. You know, and I think there's a systematic and purposeful destruction of our democratic system taking place, all in the name of democracy, no less, this democracy of, you know, majority rule. And I want to say this, you know, if the word you're using requires an adjective, then the word no longer means what it was intended to mean. Uh, a true democracy is not a democracy. Most people, when they say true democracy, mean majority rule. A new democracy is not a democracy, nor are new Democrats <laughs> Democrats. Most new democracies are socialist dictatorships. A direct democracy is not a democracy. Most direct democracies are mob-ruled to the degree voters are given free reigns on the levers of power. A democracy is a nation which all people, those governing and those governed, all possess the same rights, known as individual rights, are all subject to the same laws, and are not discriminated against or for in such regard. Voting mechanisms are a very secondary consideration because freedom and capitalism must precede the establishment of voting. And most importantly, all matters of parliament and issues subject to the vote must concern the broader public interest in the sense of being a majority issue, life, liberty, property, and must be absolutely limited and prohibited in terms of violating individual rights. You cannot at any time just vote someone's life, liberty, or property away, not even your own, because if you can vote for such a proposition, now, let me assure you, you don't live in a democracy if you're allowed to do that. Innumerable contradictions immediately present themselves, which presents or makes visible a very fundamental problem. All other economic systems besides capitalism are incompatible with democracy. All other economic systems besides capital are incompatible with freedom. All other economic systems besides capitalism are incompatible with civilization as we know it, where, where uh, you know, force is prohibited in human relationships. Group rights are incompatible with democracy, freedom or civilization. Only individual rights are. And I should point out, individual rights is a social concept. You know, it's not a, I am a rock, I am an island kind of concept. No, no, absolutely. Individual rights demand that we treat each other as individuals within the group, not on the basis of group identifications, cultures, or beliefs. So a free society is the civilized society. Freedom's the highest goal that there is in politics. It is the political ideal for a rational species, and no other known system has ever demonstrated itself to be superior in any other way. So, you know, a free society is one in which its government assures its citizens that they will be legally protected from the use of coercion and force, from all possible sources, public or private, but especially from the government. Government is established exclusively for the just use of defensive and retaliatory force. That's why in the early days there was no such thing as income tax in Canada, federally, until the 1900s, and provincially until 1969 when the Ontario PCs uh, banned private health care insurance options and forced a state-run health insurance scheme on us. These things would rightly be considered criminal in a, quote, real democracy. <laughs> right? mm -hmm. Taking one man's earnings by forcing giving it to another is not governance. It is immoral and it is rightly criminal. 
What we have learned to call socialism is criminality made legal. It is incompatible with governance, which is the elimination of force, because it demands the use of force in order to achieve socialist ends, which, irony of ironies, and with no exceptions to the rule, have never been achieved with the use of force. And again, remember, when we use the word govern, we must never lose the sight of the fact that what's being governed is the use of force and nothing else. So let's not confuse various desirable social objectives with the undemocratic use of political force to achieve them. Nothing wrong with wanting health care insurance and wanting to be protected from catastrophic loss in the event of sudden illness or accident. Nothing wrong with that. But there's a lot wrong when you force people to buy it as Obama is doing south of the border, or force people to pay for a single-payer system that also uses force to prevent them from buying alternative insurance plans or paying their medical costs up front. That's outrageous. So, if we've achieved nothing else with today's show topic, I hope we've at least forced you <laughs> to think about <laughs> what you understand to be democracy. I think we're reaching an age and a time where, once again, our very lives will depend, of it, depend on it. Um, ideas either change the world for the better or for the worse. Knowledge affects, as Mr. Spock in our Star Trek selection said today. So any final comments, Al? Well, well, almost everything that you've uh, been describing all goes right back to what we started with in the, in the slavery topic in the exactly. sense that we're basically going right back there. And, and it's interesting you said that you know slavery goes back to earliest civilizations. I might be tempted to say... Civilization ended when slavery did, or began when slavery did. That that was sort of the the yes. the, 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 the segue into into civilization. Yeah. So uh, I guess that's it for this week. Thanks to Ed von Adderkast for operating the show today. Thanks for sitting in today, Al. Thank you. My pleasure. And I'd like to force everyone to tune in to our next week's show, but we'll just have to rely on friendly persuasion and invite you to join us again next week when we'll continue our journey in the right direction. Until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, and be right back here. We'll see ya. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be Pajamas. Well, I slept in the guest room so Sergey could have the penthouse. Can I talk to you for a minute about Sergey? You asked for it, you got it. I'm listening. Look, Mark, Sergey seems like a nice guy, but you just you just can't go inviting your friends to live here. Well, you told me to go out and ask people questions. Not questions like you want to come home and live with me. Well, I get it. You feel left out. Well, you can ask one of your friends home. Then there'll be four of us. But then it wouldn't work. I guess democracy only works with odd numbers. That's not the point. He's a stranger. But I was a stranger and you brought me home. Yeah, you're even stranger now. 